Hello, and we are back. This is Inside Westminster. I'm your host, Dakota Sawyer, and my co-host, Kobe, is with me today. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back. This was a long furlough, but we are back. We're here to talk about the news of the day uh, inside the United Kingdom. This is Inside Westminster. So... We've been seeing a lot of the Northern Ireland deal that has been struck with the European Union. Uh, it's it's quite like 27 pages long. Not the longest deal I've ever seen, but certainly uh, was a struggle to get through all 27 pages. Uh, but that's only because I'm at a third grade reading level. <laughs> Bit of a joke there, but uh, yeah, we're getting back to the Windsor framework. Um, Prime Minister uh, Rishi Sunak has said that this puts Northern Ireland in a unique position. The government is touting this as a win for businesses uh, and a win for Northern Ireland, uh, saying that the uh, Windsor framework uh, deal between the European Union and the United Kingdom uh, really outlines uh, a very vast trade deal. Uh, so for what basically a synopsis of the deal is, it establishes a green barrier between the rest of the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland, meaning that trade going from the United Kingdom into Northern Ireland uh, does not need to be uh, inspected like it was going to a country abroad, uh, and it clears that barrier up. Uh, it used to be uh, in uh, the United Kingdom when they would send over, ship over goods tr into the Northern Ireland uh, at, at, at sea, they, uh, all these items would be inspected before they moved on into Northern Ireland. This eliminates that barrier and then sets up a second barrier uh, that would be the uh, the red barrier uh, going into would go through Northern Ireland, but and then go into Ireland as its final destination. Uh, that would go through checks, but those checks would not happen until it reaches the border of Ireland. Uh, normally, it would happen uh, within uh, within the coast off of Scotland, uh, and so it clears up those barriers and resets them. So I. Actually, uh, you know, from reading the Windsor framework, it, I believe, clears up a lot of trade regulation between the, the rest of the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland and brings back Northern Ireland um, sort of into the fold of the rest of the United Kingdom uh, and allows for more business opportunity. Uh, and, you know, uh, Rishi did out, uh, Prime Minister Sunak did outline that, uh, you know, this puts Northern Ireland in a unique position because it has access not only to the UK markets, but it also has access to the European uh, markets, as the European Union markets as well. Um, some have criticized those remarks as saying, well, maybe it sounds like he's anti-Brexit. Um, I think it just puts Northern Ireland into a unique position. Uh, and I believe the prime minister was trying to outline that unique position. It's something that no one else has throughout the whole of the world uh, to be able to access those those two markets at the same time. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's, it's interesting. I'm glad you read the whole 27 pages because I was not staying up into the late nights of the morning uh, reading those pages. But yeah, I think it's, it's a good step forward for Northern Ireland. Obviously, they drew the uh, border in the Irish Sea 
on the original Northern Ireland protocol, uh, but now with the Windsor framework, it's allowed Northern Ireland to be a lot more free um, in what they choose. Like you say, yeah, a very unique position for them to gain access both to the, the British market and the, the EU market. Although I did find something funny today in um, PMQs. Obviously, the SNP do take any chance they get to campaign for Scottish independence. And the um, SNP Westminster leader, Stephen Flynn, did say that if Northern Ireland has a very, very special status, then why can't Scotland? Um, and obviously, Rishi Sunak doesn't want Scotland or Scottish independence, neither do Labour. Um, and so he did hit back with quite a quite a thing to keep Scotland um, in the in the UK. Yeah, but very, very interesting. Again, the SNP, I think, trying to capitalise on a situation where they probably shouldn't be vying for Scottish independence, but rather celebrating maybe uh, the Brexit deal finally being made to work for Northern Ireland. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think, you know, the uh, president of the European Union did sort of jab at uh, at Lord Frost and Boris Johnson without saying any names. She said negotiating with Britain used to feel like a battle. Uh, now it feels more like a meeting of minds. Uh, so she did, you know, jab a little bit at Boris Johnson's administration handling over you know brexit talks and uh in between the european union and uh but uh one thing that does uh it scales back the european court of justice uh mm. which i believe uh, is a great step forward uh to making sure that northern ireland still is in within the fold of the united kingdom uh and it scales back to uh to the original intent of it uh but you know they say uh, this uh, this deal does um, the Windsor framework. It reduces checks. Uh, it doesn't remove them completely, but it does reduce checks uh, on trade. Uh, it uh, it does, um, from my understanding, uh, the deal. Uh, it's an agreement itself does allow for. Uh, you know, if Brussels comes out with regulation, Lord of Ireland uh, and the United Kingdom, you know, as a whole can, uh, uh, you know, object to those regulations uh, onto Northern Ireland uh, that would be put in place by, you know, the European Union and the European Commission. Yeah, I think it, it was important that that was the main point of Brexit, I think, and lots of um, campaigners for Brexit, obviously, um, for the UK said that we need to take back control. Um, of our own laws and from the European Courts of Justice and every other law that the EU had. Um, I think the EU like that is over, um, it's overregulated. Um, but yeah, it, it safeguards um, sovereignty for Northern Ireland, essentially, by allowing the Northern Ireland Assembly to stop EU goods laws applying in Northern Ireland um, using a mechanism which has been dubbed the Stormont Break. So essentially, members of the Northern Ireland Assembly can vote as if they want that EU law applied in Northern Ireland or not. So again, it's coming back to that special status that um, Northern Ireland sort of have, that special access that they have. Um, they're in a very unique position, um, but it, nevertheless, it's a very it's a very strong position, I think, for Northern Ireland um, to be in. Yeah, and it uh, it you know 
the BBC has outlined this as an end to the sausage war uh, mm. because the EU has strict rules um, uh, for food products entering the single market. Uh, but this does mean the Windsor framework uh, means that the trade in the food products from Great Britain to Northern Ireland uh, it will be significant uh, for that to be imported uh, more, you know, more British foods can be imported into Northern Ireland without that, uh, without that, those regulations, because since Northern Ireland is still within that European uh, market, uh, so it, you know, the, they're saying that, uh, you know, UK public health and safety standards will reply, will apply, uh, to all retail food and drink, uh, within, you know, Northern Ireland. And I, and I believe that that is fair. Uh, to say, you know, that UK regulations on food and beverage uh, will apply instead of European uh, regulations on food and beverage. Yeah, again, it's it's another great step for um, Northern Ireland to to take. Um, obviously, the DUP have refused to sit um, in the Stormont until the protocol issues um, were fixed. And so they've refused and the Stormont hasn't been sitting for a very um long time it's weird i'm looking at the reaction that the the um the winter framework has had obviously labor have said that they're backing the deal and that they're going to vote for it which is very very pleasant always good to have a, a house that's together on issues like this uh, but the dup has come out and said that it's going to review it in detail before deciding on a position to take so we're not entirely sure yet if the dup who are the main um, unionist party in Northern Ireland are entirely happy with um, the way the deal's been shaped or the way that Rishi Sunak has approached it in the interests of Northern Ireland. I think the uh, the leader of the DUP, Geoffrey Donaldson, has said that the deal secures significant progress, um, but concern, um, concerns still remain for the DUP. So it's going to be interesting to see the stance that the DUP come out and take in the next couple of weeks, um, because ultimately that will decide whether or not Northern Ireland can get back to having a sitting devolved um, assembly like Scotland and Wales. Um, because if it doesn't, then what is the solution? You know, the UK government have tried everything that they can. And, that, you know, beyond this, we're going to sort of repeat what happened um, back in the 1970s, 1980s with the um, the war between Ireland and Northern Ireland. So it's not the war, um, but the IRA, I should say. So it's, yeah, it's a very interesting reaction, mixed reaction from uh, Westminster, I should say. Yeah, and, and you know, w what I really find fascinating is that, you know, with the DUP and, you know, we still don't know their stance on the uh, Windsor framework, the DUP was the only political party in the 90s to oppose uh, the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, all of the other polit Northern Ireland political parties agreed uh, on the Good Friday Agreement, uh, and DUP was the only political party back then to oppose it. So it would be interesting to see where they stand on it. But, you know, another interesting uh, aspect of the Windsor framework is the VAT tax. Um, so uh, under the original protocol, EU rules would apply for uh, 
VAT and excess tax uh, mm. in goods in Northern Ireland. Uh, but the New Deal allows for Northern Ireland to diverge from EU rules on the structure of excise duties, meaning that a new UK plan, which is focused on taxing beverage based on their alcoholic strength, can apply within Northern Ireland. And the deal on the VAT tax means the UK can apply reduced VAT rates on goods supplied and installed in immovable property, uh, for example, like a heat pump or solar panel for a house located in Northern Ireland, even if the applicable UK VAT is below the EU minimum rates. Uh, and the UK can also apply reduced VAT rates to higher number of categories for goods that are allowed under EU law, uh, which is, I believe, very good. Uh, so it allows the United Kingdom to apply lower tax rates uh, to Northern Ireland rather than using the EU minimums, the UK can apply their minimums that are even below the EU minimums. And I think that is a step in the right direction in terms of uh, using that tax that is being applied right now in Northern Ireland. Yeah, I think, you know, for so long, Northern Ireland have been sort of strived of all the benefits that um, we were meant to have or the UK was, the UK got, I should say, the rest of the UK got from um, Brexit and from leaving the European Union as whereas Northern Ireland didn't really get those benefits because they were worried of a repeat of the 1990s, 1980s. So now that Rishi Sunak has entered into good faith um, with the EU over these negotiations, things like tax reductions um, can actually happen through the UK rather, like you say, instead of following um, the EU minimum. So looking at, looking at the Windsor framework on a whole, whether or not the DUP come out and fully support it or they take a different stance or however they look at it, I think it's still um, it is going to be a significant progress made from the way that the Northern Ireland protocol was, was shaped previously in the previous EU deal. Um, and like the EU president said, you know, it, it was sort of like fighting a battle trying to negotiate with the UK before, but maybe now having someone like Rishi um, as PM, it, like she says, it's more easier to have uh, like-minded people negotiating with each other. There's more progress to be made rather than backpedaling, which seemed to be um, what was happening before. So a very, a very good step forward, I'd say. Yeah. And, and what, you know, the, the Windsor framework, you know, even the Labour Party has come out in support of the Windsor framework. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's very interesting uh, to see, uh, you know, all these political parties coming together on the Windsor framework and supporting the Windsor framework. Uh, my, my whole interest um, is, you know, not whether or not the DUP support it, but whether or not Northern Ireland as a whole will support it and, you know, if they think this is good policy, good negotiations that have been taken place uh, and, you know, if the people of Northern Ireland will support it. Um, and, you know, we have we have, uh, uh, you know, discussed this a bit, you know, the the old Northern Ireland protocol um, really, uh, you know, has kind of it's outlasted its purpose um in terms of that i mean when the northern ireland protocol was you know enacted it wasn't uh predicting that the united kingdom would leave the european union uh that you know the united kingdom as a whole at the time was still within the european union mm -hmm. and we wouldn't have two yeah. competing markets um so i think you know this windsor framework updates that and allows um 
allows for that update to happen within within the uh, protocols. Uh, and I believe it was a labor MP that said it the other day that good is not necessarily the enemy of perfect. Uh, and I, I, I believe that to be true. Uh, you know, it may not have everything the DUP wants, but it might have it where the DUP actually agrees with some of it, disagrees with, you know, maybe a couple issues here and there. But overall, if they support it, I, I would say that it would be in the DUP's best interest to support uh, the Windsor framework. Uh, yeah, I was looking at actually the, the sort of mixed reaction as well coming out from um, parties in the in the Stormont. Um, the Alliance Party said that uh, the Stormont break could add a certain amount of instability um, in the Stormont. The uh, Ulster Unionist Party says they're going to study the deal and it's not simply going to give uh, cover to other parties. The Social Democratic and Labour Party, um, which is obviously very nationalist, says it's a positive day and the deal brings enormous opportunities to create jobs, to trade into two markets that nobody else has. Of course, coming back to some of the more positives of um the Windsor framework. Um, the traditional, uh, sorry, the traditional unionist voice has said it, uh, the uh, Windsor framework is effectively um, the protocol as it stays. So he believes the Stormont break is a veto for nationalist parties. So very few mixed reactions. Although what I think is important to note that Sinn Féin, who are the largest um, party in the Northern Ireland Assembly, have also come out with the same thing that the DUP have said, and that is they're still examining. Um, the details of um, the Windsor framework um, and she says that she welcomes the fact that a deal has been done um, but uh, she's still that the, the Sinn Féin itself are still looking into um, the details of it so yeah it's going to be a very much a case of certain parties agreeing with this part not agreeing with that part and then other parties agreeing with that part and not agreeing with this part so it's going to be interesting to see the reaction that comes out of both the Stormont and the DUP from Westminster. Obviously, Sinn Féin do have seven seats in Westminster, but choose not to sit in Westminster. Um, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting few developments over the course of the next few weeks to see how uh, how they react. Yeah, and you know, it would be interesting, you know, because uh, you know we haven't really seen um, there had. Uh, Northern Ireland Assembly is really, uh, you know, without uh, leadership at this point because, you know, we might need another, another election uh, within Northern Ireland because I don't believe that there's any party that controls the majority at this point. Uh, Sinn Féin has, you know, 27 seats within the Assembly. The DUP have 25 seats. And Alliance, uh, the Alliance Party has 17 seats. Uh, but, um, you know, it's uh, it, right now it's, you know, kind of up in the air on whether or not, uh, you know, we will see uh, uh, some leadership within the Northern Ireland Assembly, um, you know. So it's going to be interesting to see where Northern Ireland, you know, all these political parties are saying, well, we need to read the agreement, we need to see what impacts uh, have on it, and then we'll, uh, you know, have, uh, and then we'll come out with a statement it's like, uh, you know, the United Kingdom's are the, you know, people in Westminster are already debating, you know, this, this, this agreement and, you know, Northern Ireland is kind of without, you know, leadership at this point. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to, to see how it develops and how it's going to, 
how it will unfold over the next coming days. But nevertheless, I think still a very positive step for Northern Ireland to take and a very um, significant progression. Right. Should we move to then the next big story that's hit UK politics tonight? And Matt Hancock seems to have come back over some leaked trove of WhatsApp messages, over 100,000 WhatsApp messages between Matt Hancock, Boris Johnson and the former Chancellor um, George Osborne have been leaked, um, which have, what have I got in my notes here? Um, he, he talked about thousands of spear testing slots, which he quoted in a WhatsApp message as of good news um, for me about the virus, um, but hard for me to hit my target, um, which George, George Osborne responded, um, yes, of course, um, all you need to do tomorrow is give some exclusive words to the standards and I'll tell the team to splash it, referencing um, splashing some positive numbers rather than some negative numbers about uh, the numbers of tests being used. So, yeah, that's our next big story. Any Anything interesting? A lot of things interesting going on. Yeah, uh, and, you know, what I had sent you, Kobe, you know, uh, of the um, messages between Matt Hancock and Boris Johnson is, mm. you know, uh, Matt Hancock uh, sent s- sent this to Boris as we have a new data tool that Jenny Harris has been developing to define your risks should you be exposed to COVID. Age is the biggest determinant uh, then sex, followed by other conditions, including obesity. What this means is the overall mortality is pretty meaningless because the mortality of high risk is still very high, but low risk groups is very low. And Boris replies with, Matt, as I've read this chart, an 80-year-old COVID patient has 6% chance of dying. And if you're under 30 po- 35, your chances are negligible. If I were an 80-year-old man and I was told that the choice was between destroying the economy and risking my exposure to a disease that I had a 94% chance of surviving, I know what I would prefer. So these are very interesting, you know, messages coming out of, you know, Matt Hancock's WhatsApp um, that are, you know, being revealed. Even the peop- uh, the woman who leaked Matt Hancock's WhatsApp has stated that, uh, doing by doing so, she acknowledges that she is violating a non-disclosure agreement that she had uh, with Matt Hancock, which opens her up to a realm of legal uh, repercussions that could be inflicted. Um, you know, fines, you know, lawsuits. Uh, th- this is going to be a huge deal. And uh, you know, somebody is you know Matt Hancock. I mean, he's already stated that he won't stand in the next general election, anyways, but. My God, I mean, this is cause for resignation at this point. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting development. You know, I think I think some people are sort of sick of hearing now if we echo these these calls of Matt Hancock. And ever since he did resign as health secretary, you no, know, we didn't really hear in, uh, about him until he decided to pop up and make an appearance on I'm a Celebrity in which he placed third miraculously. Um so, yeah, interesting. I think it's important to note that the the uh, lady who did leak Matt Hancock's um, messages said that Matt Hancock has sent her a menacing message um, after um, learning that she did leak them. That's, that's funny that you mentioned that because I j- literally just pulled up the article and I just yeah. had seen it. So that's funny that you mentioned that. It's... <laughs> Yeah, his his spokesperson did decline to comment. So it's likely that he probably has sent a, a message, um, and she has said that uh, Mr. Mr. Hancock was extremely troubled in terms of how to respond to this. So 
he came out and said that the messages have been fabricated. Um, I find that not necessarily to be true. I don't think they've been doctored in any way. Um, but I think what baffles me in terms of a more public view is that politicians use WhatsApp uh, as a communication method. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to me. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Matt Hancock's spokesperson uh, told the Daily Telegraph uh, that they had published partial leaks that presented a distorted account of the pandemic to fit an anti-lockdown agenda. Uh, so this is, you know, what Matt Hancock is uh, is claiming now is that uh, the Daily Telegraph, who originally published the story, uh, is is just trying to promote uh, an, an anti-lockdown agenda and trying to get back at him, you know, for for locking down the country or something. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, the Telegraph has was handed over a hundred thousand WhatsApp messages linked to Matt, Mr. Uh, to Matt Hancock's time as health secretary at the height of the pandemic. A hundred thousand messages. I mean, if you're handing over a hundred thousand messages, that's going to take you a long time if they're all doctored. I mean, that's 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 insane. Somebody would yeah. sit there with that much time on their hands to doctor a hundred thousand WhatsApp messages. Come on, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, I think. It, it's still I can't but it still baffles me that, that, that he used WhatsApp. The politicians used WhatsApp. It's amazing to think that the platform I use to talk to my friends and there's senior politicians running our country who are using WhatsApp. Um but yeah, hundred thousand WhatsApp messages definitely can't all be doctored. I think you know, it's likely that probably one or two of them have been doctored. Are they the ones that have been leaked? Probably not. Um like I say, I think people are, are necessarily a bit not sick of hearing about it, obviously, but uh, you know, a bit tired of hearing about Matt Hancock um, ever since since he he resigned due to specific reasons, which have already been stated. Um, it does say that the um, Telegraph obviously have been handed a string of stories based on the messages sent by Mr. Hancock and other former ministers and advisors in the government um, during Boris Johnson's government. So. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting story to see how it develops. Obviously, some very interesting things being said. Um, Matt Hancock expressed concerns that expanding care home testing could get in the way of the 100,000 daily test target he wanted to hit. Um, that's what the investigation has showed from, from Sky News. Um, so, yeah, I think we now, I think the public will be looking at is the numbers released by the government were they not fabricated at the time of COVID, but were they maybe influenced in some other way to where we didn't necessarily see key statistics and figures? Maybe the government. I, um, I, I think it's not that we didn't that we didn't see, you know, the, the I think what it is, is we just didn't see the full picture mm. because although the testing was the testing results that were published were accurate, um, that was the total number of tests taken, you know, the number of positivities taken. But the thing of it is, is he selectively didn't test in certain areas where it didn't give the public the full picture of. So, I mean, the stats that you could surmise, um, you know, you know, the the percentage of infect uh, of infection was probably, um, you know, could have been higher or lower depending on what the results would show where he refused to test due to, you know as he said in these messages uh 
And, you know, something to point out is that uh, the lady who had leaked uh, these messages, she wasn't she wasn't like a government employee. This wasn't his time when he was health secretary. This is after when uh, Matt was writing his book. Um, and, you know, she was helping him write his book and she was given the copies of these text messages while helping him. Uh, and, you know, she went on Piers Morgan's show because she, from what I've been reading, is she's a, uh, uh, a, an, uh, a journalist with the, uh, with talk TV. Uh, so she went on Piers Morgan's program uncensored, uh, and, she basically said she did this because uh, she the evidence was overwhelming and it was in the public's interest. Um, so uh, she did. She did, however, said that she received a text message at one o'clock in the morning, uh, and she won't repeat what was in the message. But she can. You can easily surmise whether Matt Hancock is her friend or not. Uh, she's uh, Talk TV's international editor, uh, and she also stressed that the Telegraph had not selectively quoted Mr. Hancock, uh, but has, you know, published the full thing, all 100,000 messages, and you can easily surmise what they said um, and what they mean. I mean, it wasn't like they cropped out beginnings of messages or other messages that would give context to these messages. It was a lot of text messages that would easily explain and easily outline a story. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's still, you know, I think she felt that the frustration of members of the public really at, at the time of what happened and maybe she feels it, it's it's going to give some clarity to the whole situation at the time. And I think it, it will provide some clarity. But I, I do think that, you know, members of the public will now be wondering, well, haven't we heard enough of this? You know, haven't we, aren't we just fed up of hearing about Matt Hancock and the, 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 the way that the government handled COVID? Um, I have found it interesting to read here that Boris Johnson said he was going crackers over testing. Matt Hancock on June the 4th um, appeared to message saying that it's all about testing. That's our Achilles heel. We can't deliver a sensible border policy or or, or adequate track and trace because we can't test enough. Did we go to the Germans for those kits that Angela Merkel was offering? What is wrong with us as a country that we can't fix this? And then Mr. Johnson, Boris Johnson, obviously responded, we've had months and months. I am quietly going crackers about this. So even the prime minister at the time um, was quietly um, crackers. So very frustrated, clearly, the way that the government was dealing with um, track and trace. Uh, Matt Hancock responded, don't go crackers. We have test capacity enough to do this. We now have the biggest testing capacity in Europe. The problem is the false negatives, so the medics are against releasing from self-isolation, whether for quarantine or for test and trace, with a negative test. No one in the world releases from a quarantine with a negative test. Um, yeah, obviously the government spent £37 billion, um, on uh, the test and trace programme, which was effectively to slow the spread of COVID because it was the idea was it would alert you if you've been in contact with someone with COVID and then you could just stay in quarantine for the 14 days up to a week. Um, and ideally that was it and that was gone. But there's loads of problems with the app, which is obviously the frustration Boris Johnson um, felt and the frustration that we all felt. But if you try and use that app and it never works properly. Um, so, yeah, 37 billion down the drain. 
So, you know, what was interesting is, you know, today was prime minister's questions and uh, Rishi Sunak was obviously questioned over this. Uh, you know, uh, Keir Stammer, the leader of the opposition, had asked uh, whether or not a public inquiry would be taking place. Uh, and, and Rishi, I believe, you know, he handled this question very well. Uh, he said uh, if, uh, he said the public inquiry was the right uh, is the right way to scrutinize the handling of the pandemic and urge the people to not to focus on piecemeal beats of information. Uh, Keir Stammer called for, Mr., uh, for uh, Prime Minister Sunak to ensure the inquiry had all the support it needed to report by the end of this year. Um, and uh, uh, so really, uh, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I think, you know, Rishi is going to be given a free pass at this. Um, I mean, he can't really be scrutinized for something he wasn't during his premiership, um, during the two premierships ago. Uh, I mean, he was chancellor of the exchequer, but I mean, it wasn't like he was in charge of Matt or in charge of testing. That wasn't really his job description. Uh, but, um, I think, you know, Keir Stammer's kind of giving him a free pass on this one. Yeah, I think... I think, you know, Rishi can't be held accountable. Ultimately, it wasn't his government. He was in the government, um, but he didn't, you know, he wasn't overseeing these WhatsApp group chats. I'm sure he was in WhatsApp group chats of his own. That seems to be the platform everyone likes to use in the government, um, but not these WhatsApp group chats, <laughs> obviously. Um, yeah, I think I think the whole situation now, it's going to be looked at in detail. And like I think the BBC have put it, COVID hearings begin in the court of public opinion. And ultimately... Um, you know, the Conservative Party has been hit hard by a number of scandals already um, within the past year, year and a half. Um, obviously, general election coming up at the latest, January 2025. The, the Labour Party is going to want it in 2024. So it's maximum a year, year and a half away. Um, so this isn't good for the Conservatives. You know, I don't think, like you say, many people will look to Rishi Sunak and blame him but obviously the people still involved in this are still members of parliament um obviously Matt Hancock not standing next election might help but do people really look at that and think you know he's not standing so he won't be there anymore I think these types of stories give um, a political party a blank cover and they sort of you know cover the party rather than covering the individual and obviously Matt Hancock was a senior politician at the time um, so these are going to affect him negatively personally, but it also affect um, the party um, negatively as well, which isn't what um, Rishi Sunak will want. So regardless of whether or not Rishi is blamed, and I don't think he will be by members of the public. I think it's still going to not bode well with the electorate come 2024. And I think, again, we'll see the Conservatives take a, a hit in um, their already not so great polling results. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I I have these recent polling results, uh, and it, it it doesn't look good um, in terms of you know for the Conservative Party. They've been in office for what thirteen years now, uh, right. and you know it, it's it's looking like a Labour majority. Uh, the recent poll was done by Delta Poll. Uh, they had a sample size of about a thousand people. They predicted 46% for the Labour Party, 31% for the Conservative Party, 8% for the Lib Dems, 3% for the SMP. So we do see a swap in that third party. 
uh, third largest party within the Commons to be the uh, Liberal Democrats and swapping places with the SMP, uh, then the Green Party, and actually 5% for the Reform Party, which will be very interesting because that would make them the fourth largest party within uh, within Parliament, uh, and we could see some other the Reform Party actually picking up seats in the 2024 election. Because I think what's happening here is conservative party voters who are ticked off at the conservative party not necessarily don't want to go left wing. They want to go right wing. So their only other option really at this point is the Reform Party. Uh, if you're a right wing conservative, uh, you can't go you know, you're not going to go and switch and vote labor. You're going to probably vote for the reform party, which, uh, which makes sense. You know, with, they're within striking distance of taking over the Lib Dems and becoming the third largest party. They, they're only three points behind uh, to take that over. Could it happen? Maybe. Don't know. I mean, we're a year out from the election. Whenever the election will be announced, you know, uh, we don't know. So, you know, when that election is announced, we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. But, you know, there's definitely some wiggle room in there for the Reform Party. Yeah, I think I think that's that's ultimately what, you know, what it's going to come down to. I think it's the switch between the third um, biggest political party in Westminster is going to be a big one. Of course, we know the Conservatives and Labour always jostle for government. Um, and I do find it quite interesting that the Conservatives have managed to stay in government for the past um, 13 years, obviously starting out with the Liberal Democrat coalition, um, coalition sorry, um, under David Cameron. But the, the fact that they've managed to hold government for 13 years, I think, is is quite impressive considering the long reign of Labour governments before David Cameron um, took over. I think if Labour do get into government in 2024, like the polls suggest, um, it'll be interesting to see ultimately how long they stay in government for, because, you know, it's been so long since this country has had a, a, a Labour government that maybe Keir Starmer will come into power and make decisions that this country doesn't like and then in four or five years time when it comes to the next general election they'll think hang on a minute we made the wrong choice so whilst those two big parties jostle for positions i i think the more interesting battle like you say will be between the the rise of the reform party um, and as that comes back up through um the ranks and could actually like you say see it gain um some seats in westminster the jostle between the third biggest party um, in the Liberal Democrats and the Scottish Nationalist Party, um, and even the more seats that Labour will take from Wales. So there's a big, big jostle for necessarily third position here. It's sort of how I imagine the Formula One season to go. You know, we know who's going to win, but let's look at the smaller battles, and and they tend to be the more interesting ones. So yeah, like you say, it's going to be interesting, and it's going to be an interesting election come 2024, and I'm sure we'll cover it. But you know, what's going to be interesting at the next general election is um, going moving forward in 2024. This will be the first election with new boundaries in the constituencies. Uh, you know, this will be the first election uh, with new boundaries. Uh, and it, it's going to be interesting on how that factors in. Uh, you know, one of the smart moves that uh, Nigel, well, it it, it, it hurt the it hurt. The Brexit Party at the time in 2019 was the pact they made with the Conservative Party saying that they won't run uh, in 
conservative-dominated constituencies. Um, they said, you know, well, we will only target red seats um, by the Labor Party, you know, targeting that that uh, that red wall, uh, and that's kind of what uh, kind of hurt the Brexit party at the time is that they made that pack because their voters tend to be right wing, not necessarily, you know, mm, they're in the middle kind of neutral ground, independent thinking. They agree somewhat with the conservatives, somewhat with labor, but, you know, they're kind of wishing washing between the two on who they're going to vote for. And I think that hurt the Brexit party um, because they're a little bit farther to the right than the conservative party. Uh, and that puts them in a bad situation by only running in those seats. Um, and this time the Reform Party, uh, well, now yeah, now the Reform Party has said that we're taking the gloves off uh, and we're going to run in all constituencies, which I think is a smart move for them because they might pick up a couple seats. Yeah, I think, I think it, you know, like you say, it's an absolutely um, smart move from them. I think that the, the pact that the Conservatives had with them was a very important pact because ultimately it allowed the Conservatives to essentially take on the reform voters um, in those constituencies because the reform said, OK, well, we're not running where you are going to vote, but we're offering you a different alternative. Um, so it was sort of like a coalition, but a coalition in the within the electorate, not within um, government. I'm just looking at the... Um, councillor results and, and the local election results across the country when it happened and the reform party did actually gain a lot of support in in constituencies um, and in local elections across England um, so yeah a step forward for them will it see them pick up a few seats probably definitely will and I think it'll see the conservatives lose a few seats because I think there will be some conservative voters who will say okay well the reforms are running here after the way the Conservatives have run the country for the past few years, I don't want a Conservative MP. I want a Reform MP who is probably a better alternative for me. So there will be people thinking like that. And I think that it's a very dangerous position for the Conservative Party to be in. I think they've, to, to coin a phrase, been caught with their pants down a bit. Um, because, like you say, Labour from the polls are going to storm the next election, probably 400 seats at least if the polls carry on the way they're going and nothing too drastic happens with the Labour Party come 2024. Mm. And if the Conservative Party continues the way it's going, I think, you know, lots of the worry was when Rishi Sunak got elected was that he wouldn't be favourable within the electorate, is that the people wouldn't vote for him, um, which is why Boris Johnson has such a strong case to come back for party leader. But yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how the 2024 election turns out anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you there. I, I, I don't think they're going to get a 400-seat majority. I think it's going to be very slim if they do get a majority. Mm -hmm. um, it, I mean, polling has shown an average of 45 to about 47% is the average coming in into the next general election. Whether they pick up steam or not, but based on polling information we have now, I think it's good to say it's going to be a Labour Party winning the most seats. Maybe a majority, but it's going to be a slim majority if they do get a majority. Um, 
I mean, you know, looking at that, I think that's that's kind of the case we're seeing here now with the current polling data we have available to us now. Yeah, I think I think I'll disagree as well. I think it'll be interesting to see anyway. I think, you know, um, the way that Labour are building up momentum and the way that the Conservatives, not necessarily losing it, but just not gaining it to the levels that Labour are gaining. Um, I think whoever comes out on top will be interesting to see because if the Conservatives do pull it back, you know, where do Labour go from there? Because I think Keir Starmer's sort of going into the next election with, you know, as a bit big-headed, if if that's the word um, to use. Because, like you say, very optimistic um, about the, the forecast and his polls are looking sort of good for Labour in comparison to where they've been um, with Jeremy Corbyn in the past. Um, so I think, you know, Keir Starmer is going in a bit, a bit, you know, with a bit of a confidence and a bit of macho to him. And if he does lose, I think that'll be a big shocker um, to a lot of the Labour membership, the core Labour membership and to himself. And as to where he goes from there, will he resign? Probably not. But will he consider his, you know, will he have serious doubts about that result? Probably. And if the Conservatives um, are re-elected in that case, you know, they carry on with the momentum that they've got and they carry on, you know, with leading the country that they have. But if they don't win and Labour get in, that, you know, Labour are going to make a significant number of policy changes. Um, they're not a fan of the small boats um, policy that Rishi Sunak's introducing in terms of immigration. Um, so that will probably almost be gone. Um, and lots of other things that the Conservatives have made that the Labour Party will change and the country will go through change, even more change again. So... Either way, whatever way the election goes, um, it'll be uh, an interesting one. But just to talk about Reform UK, I'm actually just reading here from the website. It says that they are forming an SDP agreement for the general election. Um, so they're going to cooperate in a number of significant, uh, sorry, in a significant number of constituencies at the next general election. Um, specifically over a dozen candidates in the South Yorkshire area will be standing under the joint branding of Reform UK and the Social Democratic Party, which will be shortened to the SDP. So, yeah, I think I think the Reform Party and the SDP jointly or separately will pick up some seats at the next election. Yeah, I, I think so, too. But, you know, we're looking, you know, looking here, the Reform Party, they have, you know, we have a local election coming up this, you know, coming up here pretty soon in May, uh, you know, with with what they pick up. Uh, the Reform Party's running councillors. Uh, they have right now 18 councillors in the whole nation uh, with within, you know, the United Kingdom uh, out of 18,000. So they're about, you know. <laughs> they're they're about a you know a good ways off, but you know they're picking up steam within local elections. Whether or not you know they 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 continue that momentum, which I think they they actually might coming into this local election here in May, uh, and I I think they'll pick up some steam uh, throughout the whole of the United Kingdom, uh, and we might see some some changes happen, and that kind of gives us. Uh, uh, a bellwether, if if you would, uh, into going into the twenty twenty four general election. Yeah, there's you know I think like you say they are picking up steam and they are rolling ahead. Um, but yeah, I think I think you know very interesting to to see the way that, that, that but, they go. 
I will say this, if the conservatives, they do want to win and they and they want to win the general election, they need a big success, I think. Um and they need it to come within this year. I mean, that's the only way they'll get it or closer like it has to be like close to the election. Uh it needs to be uh and ne- they need a big success in government. Like, I mean, a record-breaking deal that, you know, promotes the United Kingdom. Uh, and I think, you know, stealing from from America for a bit, I think this sense of nationalism is picking up steam across the globe and putting saying you know, that you're going to put your country priorities first, that you're going to continue to promote your country first. This kind of sense of national pride kicks into most most voters within the United Kingdom. And I think if the the conservative party could take away that in any aspect, maybe would push forward. And I think that's what made Boris Johnson such a huge success in the 2019 general election is it kind of had that kind of nationalistic pride, you know, that national pride kicking in, you know, you had Brexit on the, on the works, uh, you know, Boris was pushing through with, the United Kingdom, uh, and he kind of brought this nationalism kind of with him, and I think that's kind of what helped him win, and I think if Rishi was to adopt that somewhat within the Conservative Party, he might see an increase in polling results. Yeah, I think I think that the can the <laughs> I think they do need a big win. I think you're absolutely right to say that, and I think if they don't get that big win, then, then the Rishi should be worrying um, because I think if that big win doesn't come within the next year and they leave it very close to the start of the next general election, then it's not going to be enough of momentum. I think what they need is a win now sort of within the next three, four months and big up that, um, to coin, to coin a, a very unprofessional phrase, but big up that win then um, until the next general election and main that make that the main talking point of the Conservative Party um, rather than uh, the lesser uh, good stuff that that has been produced from from the party. The you know they want to talk about the positives and not make a case for the negatives. Yeah, and I and I think that's kind of what needs to be drilled home is you know the Conservative Party if they want to win the next general election they need to push 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 and go for something big within the United Kingdom. If, you know, saying six months from now, the economy of the United Kingdom is booming uh, and, and, you know, the the chancellor is going through and he's pushing through the national economy and we're seeing a rise, you know, whereas the rest of the world, you know, we're seeing high inflation across the globe. We're seeing all this, you know, record economic downturn. If some way the United Kingdom could push through and something like an economic upturn and a change of direction within the economy within the united kingdom that would allow the conservatives to stay in government for an extra five years yeah i think that the the um i think that the pace that the conservatives have is just a bit slow i think some yeah. of them you know you know you look towards liz trust um and and the way that the economy she handled the economy sorry um wasn't very good you know her 45 day tenure as prime minister wasn't seen as the best 45 or the best short term uh tenure for anyone um you know she was very very 
I wouldn't say unfortunate because it was caused by her, but she didn't make a lot of good decisions, some very poor decisions, I think. Um, but yeah, they're going to need a big win. And I think that can come through maybe sorting out the cost of living crisis and developing that a bit more, um, sorting out the current crisis that we have with the, the pay. Um, obviously, teachers and ambulance workers and nurses are also striking. If they can sort that issue out and deliver a win on that, again, that's more momentum to give them forward. They just need either one big win or some small wins here and there um, that will allow them then to to push forward to 2024 and, and take a majority. Yeah, and, you know, if... if... You know, we can push forward through that. We can. Uh, we, we. I think the Conservative Party could could win. Um, and and move forward within the United Kingdom. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I think that's really what is needed here. So, yeah, very good, very good. So lots of interesting discussions there. Right, I'll end us off with some sport for today. Um, lots of sport going on across the UK tonight. One thing I'm certainly looking forward to is March 5th, the first Formula One race of the 2023 season. Practice is Friday, um, then a practice session in the morning through to qualifying in the afternoon on Saturday and the race on Sunday. So that'll be very interesting to watch and see how all the cars perform. Red Bull looked very fast in pre-season testing. So if you want to catch the action, I'm sure you can find it somewhere um, to watch. Uh, some other sport in the Premier League. Manchester United beat West Ham United. As a Man United fan, that's very hey! bittersweet. 3-1 um, tonight. 95th minute goal from Fred to secure us that 3-1. Um, and an absolutely, uh, I would say, banger of a goal, which uh, Garnacho scored, I believe, in the 80th or so minute, um, which sees Man United through to the round of 16 in the FA Cup after winning... Uh, the Carabao Cup final against Newcastle in Wembley on Sunday. Um, so, yeah, very, very positive stuff coming from Manchester United. And I think it's finally nice to say that uh, Manchester United are back. Now then, we'll take a look at Rugby Union before I hand back over um, to Dakota. Uh, Rugby Union and uh, England beat Wales 2010. I actually went to watch that match live in the Principality Stadium. Very unfortunate um, for Wales and the current situation going on with the Welsh Rugby Union. Um, Ireland did beat Italy. I can't quite remember the score, but if you look up Six Nations, you'll be able to find it. And then some few matches going on um, Saturday and Sunday in the Six Nations, I believe. Uh, France play England, so be on the lookout for that. Um, but yeah, that's all the sport before we round off tonight. There we go. You know, we're talking about Man United, you know, beating, coming, and this is coming from two Man U fans. Uh, so, you know, Kobe and I are both avid Man U fans, so don't hold yeah. that against us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and as a football referee, it's nice to see that Manchester United are getting, getting some stuff done. And I think it's always good to end on a more, a more lighthearted stuff after talking about oh, yeah. uh, serious politics for a day. <laughs> But going to some more personal stuff, you know, we've kind of been talking and, you know, Kobe and I have been talking and we kind of want to share this with our listeners here is, uh, you know, we see a need uh, for stuff like this. You know, what we're talking about, talking about politics, talking about, you know, messaging and talking, you know, strategy here, you know, going into, you know, the next general election, stuff kind of like that. Uh, so what we've started and what we're putting together is kind of 
more of a coalesce of podcasts sort of like this, you know, different podcasts on different topics, you know, not necessarily topics, but like, you know, one on politics, one on sports, one on, you know, different types of stuff, you know, with different hosts, you know, hosting throughout. So that's kind of what we're working on. It's going to be a huge project that's going to take place over the next several years. But, you know, I believe that this is something that is needed within the whole of the United Kingdom, and it's something that the UK is missing. Uh, and I think that's something, you know, we're trying to work with and work to do. Um, and I think that is something uh, is kind of the goal of this, not only just to talk about politics, but the goal of informing, you know, kind of what's going on and kind of it's the take on it, how, you know, different perspectives can change a lot on different viewpoints. So I think that's kind of where we're heading and that's, you know, what we're trying to do. Yeah, I think um, just to add on to that point, it's going to be, you know, like I say, it's going to be a, a massive project and the more people we can get involved, the better. You know, I've, I've wanted to do one for sport for ages, uh, specifically, especially with the Formula One. Uh, the new Formula One season coming up, where you can you know, cover races, cover Premier League matches, all, all that good stuff. Uh, you know, and the main aim is to just give our point of view. Like you say, young people in politics, there isn't as many at the moment, or I should say, there isn't as many Conservatives who are necessarily of the youth. I think we're in a very minority. Um, but uh, yeah, no, a very, very exciting project. And I do hope that whoever's listening does just join us along for the journey. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think we'll end the episode here. Uh, we've been going on for quite a bit, but yeah. I hope, you know, you enjoy it. I hope you listen to the end. I hope, you know, you would enjoy every bit of it as much as we like putting it together and uh, talking about it. So I hope everybody's enjoyed it. Uh, and with that, I will say, Avidasen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good night, everyone.